so we offer stay. Katie reluctantly returns to the foster home she grew up in. Little does she know her foster mother Marge is harboring a sinister secret dating back a decade. Now Katie finds herself caught up in a horrifying family drama while confronting an angry spirit named Abigail. Well, I guess you know what they say, some lies never die. This sounds like a job for crime scene investigation. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Prime Scene Investigation, brought to you by I Spit on Your Grades. I am Chris, and I am joined, as ever, by my two additional detectives. In this case, it's Faye, who I'm known as Starsky. Yo. And Mercer, otherwise known as Hutch. Oh, thank you. Hello. Hello. How Hello. are we both? Very well. Near so bad. Near so bad. Everybody looks tired and sedate. I think it's probably because we've had an absolutely smashing weekend of the Pride edition of Soho. Yeah, again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That didn't sound like we'd had a good time, did it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to Soho. <laughs> we have. It's just been tiring. I had a really good time, but staying up till late on the Saturday night and then trying to do Sunday like a like I'm 12 again or 18, however old you are when you do these kind of things, proved a lot harder than I thought. I've learnt my lesson when it comes to the late night Zooms, and if I do them and I'm on till four, I'm pretty much wrecked the next day, so this time I just took a step back and had to go to bed, because I was tired. Yeah, likewise. Although, another great lineup for Mitch. Can't shout out enough good things about the man and what he's been doing mm-hmm. during this lockdown period with Soho. And another tremendous bill that he's thrown together there. I know we won't go into the bill too much because I know that a lot of other podcasts are going to be covering it. For example, Mr. Darren underscore Gaskell on Socially Distanced Cinema is going to be doing a series of specials. And I imagine that you will hear us rock up onto his podcast as well to discuss them. So we will say nothing more but to say it was a great weekend and props to Mitch for another amazing lineup. Yes. Let's get into our own little corner of the podcasting world shall we we are cracking open another cold case although quite warm this one a warm case (laughs) if you will we are reopening 2020s abigail haunting from kelly swartz i mean the title did not film there with much hope neither did the artwork and neither when i saw indie film factory was i filled with any sort of confidence the production company logo where it says ITN. If you're English and you go ITN, you go, oh, IDV News have made this film. I will say I completely agree with you. The title of the film is pretty poor. And I'm and I stand by that. It's a really poor title. Abigail Haunting. It doesn't even really sound right when you say it. It's like yeah. is it feels haunting or Abigail Hauntings? I feel like it's it needs a possessive comma somewhere. A pos- I, think, I think it's just a name. She was just called Abigail Haunting, and that's it. Exactly. <laughs> it felt like that. And yeah, the artwork make, just made me think of all of them a haunting in New Mexico, a haunting in my toilet. All them same kind. It's just like the same thing with just like a creepy figure on the front. I was just like, this is going to be poor. Yeah. 
And was it a first watch for both of you? Yes. Yes, yes, it was. Ditto. It was a first time watch picked by our random generator. Yes, our random Amazon Prime number generator. Not just our random generator that we have sitting around in the backyard, because I don't believe a generator would have the mental capacity to be able to pick a film. Do you want to go through this step by step and explain how we start Abigail Haunting? Because you're you're the pinpoint guy. I'm the lead investigator. That that spells disaster for many, many cases. We're opening with this one in Reno. Thankfully, we know we're in Reno because we have big print where it says Reno across the screen because it's essential that it was there. Could have been anywhere. Anywhere in the world would have made no difference whatsoever to what actually follows. We have Katie and we have Roger coming in to a sleazy motel with a bag of cash. So it looks like they have just pulled off some kind of heist. Katie goes into the bathroom to sort herself out, as in that wash her face, nothing else. She just got into the bathroom. While she's in there, Roger shoots the third party of their bank robin triumvirate, leaving Katie and Roger as the sole two survivors. She comes out, they argue, she appears to shoot Roger and flee with the bag of cash to her childhood foster home. At this point, it's just me reading everything that's actually happened throughout the film. (laughs) Anyone who wants to listen to the audio version of the movie... I must say, right, right from the start, I'm not jumping ahead or, you know, going into it too deeply, but the problem right off the bat, and it continues throughout the whole film with Abigail Haunting, is that it's kind of a non-entity. So it's not bad, but it's not good, and that middle ground is just so... Nothing. I have a problem with the start. The story and the synopsis says Katie surviving an abusive relationship, whereas what appears to happen is she walks out, shoots her partner, and walks as a stone-cold killer and just walks out with the cash. But he has been abusive to her. In that opening scene, we see nothing to evidence that whatsoever. All we see is her come out, shoot him, and walk out with the cash. We also get the fantastic horror trope of um, a disturbed woman popping pills from the get-go so that we don't know what's in her mind or what's reality. Also, have you ever noticed in films when, when someone takes tablets, they get the pill bottle really over the top, take it off, shake like a hundred air in the hands. I don't know how they just shake two air every time they do it. Then swap hands that the tablets are in before shoving them in the mouth, but never just putting them in the mouth, but throwing the head back and throwing them down the throat, then swallowing the tablets, then drinking water. I'm not going to lie, I'm an influential folk, and I do a lot of things like you see in films, like Poltergeist is the reason that I blow dry my hair forward, because in Poltergeist, that's what she starts doing in bedroom. And with with tablets, I literally, whenever I take one, go, throw my head back as I'm doing it like that, like a dick. Because that's just what I've grown up knowing. You can get influenced like that. I once killed an entire nightclub full of vampires. (laughs) Also, with the start of the film, we already, we know that Katie's going to be the protagonist. I all, I think they set the film up by creating her as a flawed character that we're not necessarily going to be on board with or understand like you said it's not made completely evident until later on in the film what her relationship is with roger but she does stand up to him and then she does appear to kill him so we are left with this kind of like wow she's 
she's like double crossed everyone and done one with the money. You know, yeah. she's not necessarily a character that we want to get on board with straight away. She does come across as very not whiny, but kind of annoying as well. She's just got an annoying face. I've got to disagree with you on that. I actually think Chelsea Jerkowitz, I love her name for one, but I actually think she does a really good job in the film. I quite like her performance. I don't think she's whiner. I think she just portrays, like, as we learn more about her, I think she portrays someone who is a very flawed character who's not very trusted, who does struggle. That's what I meant. I didn't mean the actress had an annoying face. I meant whatever she's portraying comes across as annoying. I wasn't slating the actress. Thank you very much. Uh, no, I mean, you know, that's totally her character position and that's fine. It's, it, this is just how it came across to me. So she's done one with the money, as I said. She's back at the foster homestead with Marge, who is this kind of traumatised not completely compass mentis woman when we were introduced to her because she's there, doors are open, she's got a bag, people bringing groceries to the house because she doesn't leave and she spends most of the time just sitting in the chair with the TV on. My my first or my main issue with going back to Marge's is she spends a lot of time saying how much she hates her and how she fucked her childhood up. Why go back there? What's her immediate need to go back there when she's doing a flip with this money to someone that she hates and I'm assuming doesn't believe she can trust. I think it's just because it's the only place that she's got to go. She left there, went to Reno, got into a relationship with Roger, who obviously it wasn't the best relationship for her. I just don't think she's got any other alternative. So she just flees back to what she knows. I think it might be a kind of Zoolander situation as well, where it's the last place anyone would expect her to go. If she had such a shit childhood, why would you go back there? And that's maybe why jumping on... No, I'm not jumping on to the end. We'll leave that part. That's fine. But that was what my thinking was. No one would have expected her to go there. I suppose it's deserted as well. I mean, it's this dust bowl of a trailer park kind of place. I mean, she's gone back there, right? But someone finds her within, like, the first five minutes of her going back. You know, ex-boyfriend turns up straight away. Like, oh, so you yeah, are. Because it's a small town, isn't it? It's a small, like, villagey, village town, whatever it is in America. And everyone kind of knows everybody, which you get that impression later on where they do an over-the-top high scene and touching people in a bar scene, like, they, everyone knows everyone. So for a new car to turn up, he's just curious. Wild guess who else would turn up and see Marge? She doesn't have anybody else. Mm. I, I will say the when we first see Marge, that's it. Kind of, I know it's so it's such a typical kind of character to have. Like, oh look at this woman in a house on her own. Like she must be a witch or a ghost or there's something wrong with her. But it kind of piqued my interest. I was really like, what happened to Marge? Because mm. she was until Katie left so what happened to Marge after Katie left so I was quite interested at this point I mean obviously you get the uh, the harbinger I guess is what it's called is it which the gentleman who brings the yeah so but he's like a harbinger and he's like oh bad bad stuff happened you shouldn't be looking around there it's like just get direct to the point and tell her what she shouldn't be looking for and what she should be doing right why are they always so vague why don't they ever give, like, full instructions on what needs to be done? Because, I mean, that's going to stop a lot of confusion, isn't it? 
rather than working it out for herself. But hey, don't go in there because, you know, someone died in there. It'll cut the runtime by 60 minutes. <laughs> I, I just think messengers need to be far more direct. You know, cabin in the woods, you wouldn't have had all this confusion had he not given specific instructions on what they need to do. Cabin is there to be creepy. And for them, him to give them some kind of cryptic warning, but then to ignore it. We're not going to go into Cabin in the Woods because we could spend days discussing that film. Yes. Yeah, and this is not Cabin in the Woods. Very different tone. Very different. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just saying messengers in general. We meet Brian as well. Does anyone know what his job is? Because I, I assume nurse. A medical, medical man. Very nondescript. I don't know, but when he first comes as an issue in uniform and he says, I'm busy, he's all time. And then suddenly he never goes to work again. <laughs> yeah, he's got all this time just to look after all his kid time. and go buy coffees. His kid isn't even with him. It's with his mother for most at film. It's only there like he, one day. He must just work weekends because he palms the kid off to his mum's on the weekends. But yeah, he turns up in some kind of scrubs kind of get up at the start. So he's a medical man. Medical. That is what he is. <laughs> medicine. But he knows Katie from back in the day. And they rekindle their kind of friendship they've got going on. Which is, be fair, the, the interaction between them is actually not that bad. It's actually quite natural and you believe that they grew up kind of knowing each other in this fall down. Can I just say as well, right, I mean, the thing that I do like about this film is a lot of it does seem quite organic. And a lot of the choices that are made are completely natural and believable. And I like that about it. And there's a scene in particular, it's so stupid. It's totally throwaway if you weren't looking. But he brings when he brings her the coffee, he sets it down and ties his shoelace as he's talking to her, rather than just stood in front of her holding two coffees. I'm like, that looks beautiful. That looks brilliant. That's a right good move to put. That is, that's acting. That's acting, darling. <laughs> no, but yeah, I know what you mean. It does give it a sense of, like, authenticity because it's that's a natural human trait like my shoelace is undone here's my leg I can do it now I'm not going to like stop and have me seen and stuff you missed take wonder seven of that way twats himself on the floor over his shoelace so <laughs> I do think I, I agree with you I think the interaction between Brian and Kitter is I think it's nice I think it's organic I like like the teasing way like when she can't remember that much from the past and, like, his mock offence by it. I, I think they make a nice on-screen relationship. And while they're doing that, we've still got this weird kind of Marge just in the background, like, doing God knows what. Being cuckoo is what she's been. I think we approach one of my first moments where I went, oh, no. First of all, we had a kid rock up. <laughs> you you love it. kids in horror films. What are you talking about? I honestly thought to myself, fuck my life, please don't let it speak. (laughs) (laughs) Because everything was wrong when the small child acted. Do you know what it reminded me of, the kid? The kid in Friends, when Joey's got his... Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Come on, son, mama's got people. That was the kid. It looked like him in everything. So they cried. Okay. (laughs) But do you know what was cool, again, like when we talk about just that authenticity, the fact that them two are like sat in kitchen chit-chatting away, they've just left him with this crazy woman on a sofa while he's just on his phone or game or whatever it is, yeah. which is just what people do in it. So <laughs> I, did, I did enjoy that. But then we heard, Kevin, the ghost. And I just thought, oh, no. That never no, particularly no. bothered me, if I'm honest. The kid's called Gavin as well. So does the ghost say Kevin or Gavin? If the ghost can't get his name right, that's got that's a whole 
be fair, I'd be I'd be more impressed with that because let's face it, we all have times where we kind of know what someone's name is and how to guess. So if the ghost has gone, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, that would have been better. But yeah, thank you for pointing out all my flaws and errors and mistakes as a human being, Chris, for everybody to hear. Yeah, she does say Gavin, but the, when we first hear the ghost, that kind of bugs me. I don't want it. Okay. Not yet, and maybe not ever. But at least you don't see it's, it. You do. You see like a shadow of it yeah. in the yeah, coming forward. But it's a, just sh- a shadow, early. not like dirty, insidious, showing your monster in full daylight sort of thing. Yeah, it's not like you start flicking a bean. But it's, you know, definitely just too early in the film to materialise the ghost, in my opinion. So with okay. the voice and they could have just had the kid wandering off and doing his own thing anyway that would have like without an explanation because we would have all been like fucking annoying brat but that's what brats do and then later on he could have said the girl from the shed or the girl in the house told me to do all these things and that would have been better i do live in this scene as well he finds a mask from her childhood and she's like i used to wear that mask and you used to wear that terrifying cloth mask as a child see that's that's the problem with the scene because it's just an excuse just to go Hey, this, there's this mask that we're never going to re- we're going to use again for a scare later. But apart from that, we're not going to reference it in any way, shape, or form. Well, he found the gun first, didn't he? That was the thing. He found the gun in the bedroom, so that was what that scene was for. But really, um, the mask from someone who's watched the orphanage and gone, oh, you know what? That looks good. We'll, we'll use that. Yeah. If I was his dad, when Katie bit his dad, he goes, I made that when I was a child so that I could hide away from the world when everything was too much for me to deal with. I'd have been like, all right, Katie, shut the fuck up. Seriously, calm down. Yeah, we're a bit like, what is she on about? And this is the frustrating thing, because if they'd have not shown the ghost and just shown the mask and seen, we would have spent our time going, Katie's a little bit odd. Mm. So everything that she says... If we're, you know, she's even just given a glimpse of the childhood where she wears a mask to become invisible, but a really fucking freaky mask. Yeah. It would make you question the whole ghost element of it a little bit more, but it gives it you too much. It just gives you too much, in my opinion. I kind of like that in a way, though, because you're not left wondering. You, you know, it's not ambiguous. It's like, here it is, and this is what the story is going to be. And I kind of like that because... I don't know. Some films I do it on, some films I don't, where I spend my time trying to work out what the twist is going to be. And then other times I just completely go with it. If I'm really enjoying a film, I'll just let it go. Like, you know, it'll come to end and everyone like, I saw that coming. I'm like, I really didn't because I was just concentrating on the story itself. So it was nice to kind of have that opportunity to sit back and just enjoy it because it laid all its cards on the table. Kind of. I think it did try and give us a twist, which... You work something out, but then you do question some logistics about the whole thing later on. But I'm a hypocrite because sometimes I'm like, I don't want it given to me. I want it, like, hidden away. And then sometimes I do say, oh, they should have just full out thrown it in my face. It depends on the tone the film sets, I think. And this started off with setting the tone of the film, like, you know, a gritty kind of that undercurrent of crime and drama and trouble and grief and strife so I felt like it could have done more playing on Katie's emotional especially with the pills and stuff her emotional and mental state without presenting too much of the ghost so that when the ghost does appear then it has more of an impact because like oh actually she's not crazy or it doesn't appear depending on what what direction the roots have come and went oh she's crazy after all so I don't know I just feel, I felt like it set itself up in a way that it didn't follow through for me. 
Fair comment. When Marge gets attacked and she's getting ghost, strangled. Ghost strangled, yes. Being ghost strangled. And Kate is obviously seeing this. And again, this is something that could have just been Marge playing a game with Kate. But I kind of liked after the attack and somehow Brian's there again. I don't know where he comes from. He just turns up at the house just in time for her to say she's getting strangled. And he comes in, she's just sat on a rocking chair. But she turns around and gives the most twisted, sinister smile. And you're just like... You evil cow. And that makes you think, this is a game. This mm. isn't a good, it's a game. There's a completely uneven distribution of how vengeful the ghost is towards each party. Marge on the floor, getting choked to death. Katie, who's been rearranged a little, to <laughs> turn, the, turn the lamp on the side. Ah, oh, that was shower. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's not good at proportionately. Is that the right word? Yeah, probably. Dishing out the... Uh, be fair, it's arguable that Katie shouldn't, doesn't actually deserve anything that she gets in this, apart from the fact she's a bank robber. <laughs> she ran away. Yeah. Technically, was, she ran away. Yeah, so apart from the fact she does the bank robbery, Katie doesn't actually do that much that deserves this vengeful spirit. Attack, maybe, yeah. maybe Abigail doesn't like her annoying character face either. <laughs> I think we do delve into some of them, like, typical horror tropes, yes. And that gets quite frustrating. So, for example, the shed or the garage or whatever it is. And he's like, have you been in? And she's like, no, it's still Marge's house and her rules. And you're like, oh, my God, so we've got a freaky shed that you're not allowed in. So we know where we're going next. Why do you have to present it in that way? Like, just put her in there. We, we wouldn't question anything as a viewer. When she does eventually get in the shed, it pissed me off so much. That when you're trying to cover something up in a horror film, just cover it up good. You know, like get get a lot of shit in front of it so that if someone walks in, they're not going to go, oh, that's where I need to be looking because there's like one pallet and a plank of wood in front of it. And, you know, that's your protection for that part you're not supposed to go into. Cover it up right. It fucks me off every time. Hate it. It's like when, you, when you're going through a hole and someone's got cobwebs in front of it, you just have to move the cobwebs and then you go through. No. Board that shit up. If you don't want someone going in, do the job right. I love that that's your biggest problem with everything that's going on. But yeah. I do agree with you. She took something out of that barrel. Um, she could have just put the bag in and then put that something back on top as well and then just left it, as it were, because, you know, nobody goes in there. I enjoyed the edit scene when it had to happen then. Yeah, we have, the, we have Marge being strangled and then she goes into the story and we have the scare... Or in the shed. So we let, that's when we let have the next kind of scare moment. I like that scene. I like the bike being pulled away. I just thought it was quite childish. Um, I think this is one of the times when I don't think she acted in a way that a normal person would. Do you know, like the choices she made. Once that bike started getting pulled away, turn around and walk out. Don't start chasing after it. Like, you can see there's nothing there. Uh, but I really like the bag over the head scene. I just thought that was quite freaky. As we were saying at the start, because the film's kind of a kind of meh, it's not anything in there to genuinely hate, but there's not anything in there to particularly get excited or passionate about. That scene there with the mask where it attacks and the hood, you do go, you do go, ah, yeah, yeah, that's all right. I will say as well, I know I say it about a lot of characters we're discussing horror films, but, you know, Marge and Kate, uh, they need a wesh because they look dirty as fuck throughout the whole film. Just have a shower. I don't get this obsession with making people look dated up just because they live in the middle of the desert and stuff. They still have running water and soap. I think we actually 
have a shower scene. She's not doing it well <laughs> enough then, is she? Because she's still coming out looking dirty. So she's not sponging. That's when she's distracted by all her stuff being placed on its side. Because she goes from the shower into the bedroom and then back again into the shower. Oh, my God. Someone may have been eating a McDonald's breakfast at the time and missed that entirely. Not as a get too behind the curtain. But one of my notes does say something happened. I'm not sure what I was watching. Because <laughs> I, dis- I got distracted at the time. You're pulling a shock face, Mercer. Are you telling me you never get distracted in a film? Never. I am 100% committed to what I am watching. Um, I think I did. I actually rewound this a couple of times because I didn't know what had happened. And then nothing had really happened. But I think that was the problem. <laughs> I just went, have I missed? No, no, nothing's happened. So because nothing happened, you thought something might have happened. But when you rewound it, it was actually just that nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> Ridden time's 82 minutes, unless you immerse, in which case it's eight days. <laughs> to be fair with this, I think the film did feel longer than its runtime. I think there was a lot of filler scenes in there that we could have done without. Like you said, the, the, the messenger, I thought it was ridiculous when he come with that massive folder and said, there's something in there for you. She opens that massive folder and there's one photograph that just, no news articles about a girl disappearing or anything. One photo. I was like, what was the point? <laughs> really, what was the point in that? There was none. And it was, it, it clearly gone out and just bought that folder as well from a post office. That was like a brand new folder. You know, it's the kind of, you know, like when you're uni or college and you got an assignment, you've done the bare bones and you try to pad it out as much as you can. That's his equivalent. He's gone, oh, fuck, I've already got this photo. What can I do? <laughs> Looking around the house. In the, it's like, wherever his wife's name is, Deirdre, Deirdre, where, where's the folders? It's gone, bang, big, massive folder. That'll do. <laughs> it could have just given another photo. Just buy it yourself, yeah. hand it over, and go, by the way, here's Abigail. And the best part is, I'm, I'm going to give you something. You really need to see it. Just a photograph. Like, what does she need to see? Like, what is she supposed to take away from that? Like, there's, there's just as Abigail 1995, like, she's got to then go to a library, read newspapers. Like, she's got a shit ton of work to do. And he knew all along, and this is my point about messengers, how they need to be more specific in the information they're given. Oh, crap, why he used that big folder. I've got it. Go right, so, obviously, he had a little photo. He, had a little photo. he didn't want to give her it directly, so he goes... Hey, there's something in there you need to see. That photo could have got lost in the back of the bag somewhere. We could have heard her standing around staring at a carton of eggs for the next half hour, trying to piece together what had gone on. It's kind of true, but would it have been funny if she'd like up a bag and she was just pulling like eggs and bacon out, going, I, I don't know where you want me to see. What do you want from me? Was, was Abigail a chicken? Was she a pig? She's there doing deep dive research on Animal Farm. She's like Animal Husband, Animal Husband Dream books piled up. You can pick up farming corners going, not me, pal. <laughs> That's not me. Big standing there, just side-eyeing her. Uh, I'd love a side-eyeing pig, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> I, I prefer a side-eyeing chicken, if I'm honest. I think that's got more comic they're effect. Added, they're added to mimic, aren't they? Oh, God! Oh, there you go. <laughs> What the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> it was my noise. 
Um, I think actually, seriously, what was probably in the bag um, wasn't the picture of Abigail. That was just a mistake. There were probably a sponge and soap in there for her to wash Darby in. What's she called? Margin. Wash a whole town. (laughs) What I want you to do, in order to crack this mystery, you got to travel to the UK. You'll find a city. Once you've washed it, all will become clear. Do you remember that time we were stuck in Derby after hours? When we were coming back from the seaside, it was full of red boys. Remember I love how you call it after hours. <laughs> like, sexing it up. Because it was. It was like last train out, like we're, one o'clock in the morning or something. We all know Derby is like Hollyoaks, so it goes Derby after hours. <laughs> I don't remember I went to meet someone once there. And um, I told them I was going home, and then they took me to their house, and uh, I never left. Yeah. Well, I left the day after. <laughs> He's, he's, been, he's been recording this podcast the, last, the whole time from that basement. Yes, I am actually dead. No, um, yeah, it was that was quite freaky. Anyway, moving on, <laughs> we now talking about scary situations. I think Abigail is now really starting to let her true colours show because mm-hmm. she starts attacking someone in a toilet of all places. Oh yeah. Like, how is she been right? So she never leaves the house in all this time. But now she's freely going to clubs. And I bet she had no ID to get in. You'll be 21 in America. <laughs> America. <laughs> America. Look, <laughs> she said. the good news. I think, I could, like, the toilet scene's, like, such a hit and miss scene for me. Because I kind of like the, like, back and forth, like, the tap, the door opening and then the tap coming on and then the door and stuff. You're like, that's quite cool. And then you see Abigail, the ghost, as she comes crawling out of the toilet. And it's the shittest ghost crawl I have ever seen in my life. Well, but on yes, the flip, yeah, she's a toilet, so. <laughs> diarrhea everywhere. But on the flip of it, like, at least they didn't do that kind of Japanese ghost twisted crawl so like on one one end i'm like oh this is terrible then and then on the other i'm like ah but it's not predictable as such like with the like jaggedy movements and the arm over leg and stuff like that do you know what i mean so i was like ah this is all right but then like i saw abigail and i'm like why is she being set on fire like she's being set on fire right that's how she's died because she's burned i think that's how they've tried to get rid of the body Afterwards, possibly, because I thought I thought the fact that the when we, no one had skipped ahead to the end, but I thought with the way it's set up, I assumed she'd hung herself. Yes, because I imagine did. you wouldn't try to kill yourself by setting yourself setting yourself on fire and not way. yeah, not a normal way you'd expect someone to attempt it. It's not the easiest to like do, is it? Mind you, it's probably actually one of the easiest because once you've lit that much, you're fucked, aren't you? No, if because someone could come and put you out, and then you're horribly burned for the rest of your life and in pain for the rest of your life. So I think you've more chance of su- surviving uh, burning than you would a drowning. But I or think, hanging. Yeah. I, th- I, think they, I think if she is looking burnt, I'm assuming it's because they've tried to get rid of the body after she's killed herself. Crispy. I never thought of that. All I thought was, I saw her and I thought, I can't wake out how old this ghost is meant to be. So I couldn't work out whether it was meant to be like a teenager or an adult. So that's me. And I, I thought she'd been burnt. And I'll be like, this is a bit weird. And then I just not, I'm, weren't a fan of the voice for the ghost either. But I kind of liked, so in this scene, what I, I, I actually really enjoyed um, Katie's breakdown 
And I do like the whole trying to get away and not being able to get away. And that just like cowering in a corner. I thought, I just thought she were really good in this film, if I'm being yeah. honest. And I really enjoyed the performances of like everybody in the film. I thought they were all really, really good. And like I said before, I, it was so natural. It was just refreshing to see in such what's hailed as such a low budget film. I'm glad you said that because one of the things that I very first thought was because I think it's like a $60,000 budget or something. And one of the first things I thought was they've made this look really well from mm. the get go. It had a nice kind of like like a gritty look, um, but like a gritty look you expect to see. I'm not saying it's the same before anyone kills me, but like a gritty look like you get from like Zom- Rob Zombie and like Devil's Rejects and stuff like that. Kind of like a matter gritty. I thought you were going to go with your usual genre Americana description there. That's what you're gonna say. Zombie is Americana to me because I don't know what Americana is. I did. I totally forgot to say it in the opening shot. Well, well, not in the opening shot. Sorry, when she first goes back to the house, she's got a path in front of her, and she chooses to walk on the garden rather than the path. And I couldn't understand why you'd do that because that's kind of disrespectful if you're going into someone's house. Probably why mine were on a case when she was growing up. Do you know what I mean? Fucking Kate, always walking over flowers. That's nothingness. Let's get back to where we were. But no, yes, yeah, so I did think it looked like it looked good. Um, mm. And I actually enjoyed as well. I really enjoyed the score throughout. And I don't, I don't normally pick scores out. So I'm, this was a question I was asking myself the other day. If I don't notice the score, does that mean that the score's not very good? Or does it mean that I'm not invested in the film? I think the score's doing its job if you don't. It's, it's hard to, oh, I, it's hard. You come down one way or the other, can't you? Because either the score's doing what it should do, in which case it's understated, or if you go watch a big budget and you go watch Avengers Endgame, it adds and you get to the it. Port- and you get the Portals sound piece, and it's huge and it's amazing, and you hear over everything else. That's, it's there to give the scene the absolutely amazing, grandiose look of it. I like it when a score enhances something and mm. becomes part of the film. Yes, it's just normal there. Like, I, me personally, don't want to ever break the two. Whereas, you know, so I, I, like, I, I don't really know when a score is that good normally, unless I hear it independently of the film. As an example, I'd probably say American Beauty is one of the best examples of that. Like, the score for American Beauty, for me, is something on its own. It works so well with the film, but it's that good that it's used in so many other things. And I think that's a perfect example of a score making a film almost just throwing it out there i just thought this one, like eric ricker just sorry his name in there as well um i actually did really enjoy that um and i do think it did elevate some parts of the movie but yeah i, I couldn't work out whether i was picking out the score because i'd lost interest in the film i think if you've so, noticed it then i think yeah i think you've noticed it are you yeah. all right can you sleep tonight now knowing that we'll see we'll see is this where we learn the dark secret is? Are we at that part yet? Yeah, we're, we're basically, we're Katie's back to Homestead and we have Marge's saying how Abigail blames me. You can blame me now. So this is where we find, we find out what's been going on. Which is something I didn't see coming, if I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give an opinion right now. I just burped. But here's my opinion. So as soon as she said Abigail was pregnant when she died, I immediately went, and Katie's obviously a daughter, straight away. That was the very first thing I thought. 
And then I went, so why did we wait for Katie to grow up and leave? And then Abigail get really vengeful. Like, why wasn't she? Because her, her entire ethos or everything she's about is keeping Katie at the house. So why wasn't she presenting herself to Katie when Katie was a child and saying, you can never leave this house? Why did she wait till she went and then went, oh, right now I'm going to make you crazy, Marge. And then I'm going to do the same to somebody who is actually an innocent in this scenario. See, I thought I thought that they'd had Katie first as the foster kid, and then she'd left, and then they'd taken Abigail, and this had happened afterwards. So I didn't have, I, at no point did I just go, oh, they're clearly related. I was like, no, they're two completely separate, no family relation whatsoever. Katie was there, she's gone, and then this has happened after she's left. And that's what I initially thought with the build-up, but then when they did the whole scene where they found out that Abigail existed and that she disappeared and everyone blamed her, and then Brian, is he called Brian? Yeah, he basically said to her, do you think she she had you? To replace Abigail, yeah. Yeah. And at that point I was like, oh, right, so she came after Abigail. And that's the only reason why when she said Abigail was pregnant, I'm like, oh, obviously. This is, that's got to be the link. But up until that point, I, I I weren't really sure what the link with Katie was. So I just thought, like you said, I kind of thought she was the one that got away. And because she got away, Abigail took the brunt of the abuse, because that's what I thought it was going to be, an abuse story. Two things with it. So Abigail goes missing. So it was reported she'd gone missing, even though... She was still claiming the money for them. So I'm not quite sure how that works in the in the first place. Because clearly either she's missing or she's not. If she is missing, they've reported it. At no point did the police or anyone involved go, you know what? She probably have a look in the house. Make sure there's nothing laying around. Sniff the dogs, no, apparently useless. No, no hope of help of finding her whatsoever. And then foster services in the States, they've then gone, right, well, you've lost that one. We better give you another one. We better give you another one then. Put Katie with you. Except they would never have given Katie to her because Katie was already there. So Abigail must have killed herself immediately after Katie was born because Abigail says my mum gave me up at four weeks. When they reported her missing and they come and there was this baby there, didn't they say, where's this come from? Like the foster people or the police, but, but no one care where this newborn child had come from. Do you think maybe she gave him to the messenger for a little while or something to look after her or something while the police were there or whatever? Oh, I don't know. It's just a bit complex. And if a four-week-old kid turns up, why doesn't Marge just claim it as hers? Why then go, oh, you're my foster daughter? Because, because going, it's known she can't have children. She couldn't be doing any other dust bowl, though. It's not the, we clearly know this in the middle of nowhere. and it's a, Obviously, they see him in the bar and their friends are, but she could have gone anyway. There's no reason she she could have gone. Oh, well, you're my adopted daughter. Who? What complete tale to go? Somebody who well who grows up and go. Oh yeah, you're my foster daughter. I fostered you for four weeks. Roger going adopted, or you're mine. The story doesn't hang together beautifully when we get to the end. Is my point? No, it doesn't. Um, there, I had a little bit of a niggle with one of the end scenes but we'll get to that in a moment um so i'm i can't actually remember myself what happens in the barn basically abigail kind of takes possession if you want in inverted commas of katie and attempts to hang her and 
somehow Brian turns up. <laughs> he just knows when to rock up. Like I think he is Abigail. He's always there. Like they must be connected. No, he turns up and rescues her. And I do kind of like that kind. To be honest, I like the idea of killing her to kill. Not like the idea, but the concept of her killing herself in the same way that Abigail died, and then dealing with the aftermath was quite an interesting concept. But it then doesn't make sense with the end of the movie. We'll get to that. But what the next thing that kind of gets my go is Roger rocking up. Well, this was what kind of got me a bit because I thought it were going to be, you know, they're going to get away. Brilliant. Let them get away and just go have a new life somewhere, pick up the kid and go. Well, mind you, he couldn't just stop and go. But anyway, they're going to get away from the house. And then when Roger turns up, it's like, it's actually a really good scene. And I think it's well acted out between them two. He's not like being all heroic. He's been like, do you want to be a fucking hero sort of thing? And I really like the playing between them. But it's the fact that when she goes back into the shed, obviously she, she says she's pregnant in this scene so that Roger doesn't kill her and they go to get the money. And then when they get in the shed, Abigail strangles him and hangs him. But she can't get out. It's like, if Brian saved her all these many times, why couldn't he just save her on this occasion? And and then fucking messenger turns up and goes, no, she belongs to the house now. What? No! Just before we get to the end, the end, end with that, the bit that, annoy, the bit that really annoys me with Roger Turner, apart from the fact it just comes out of the blue, and it was not so. It's when he rocks up. We heard the gun go off in the hotel in the hotel room, and he's like, "Oh, I'm glad I didn't teach you how to shoot." Are you telling me she's missed from two yards away, standing next to him? Really? Didn't she check? And it frustrated me because earlier on, when she was talking to Brian and explained her abuse, so this is when we, we found out that she were abused by Roger. Um, he says, "Aren't you scared that he'll come for you?" And she was like, "No, um, I've made sure that won't happen." And we're like, yeah, because she shot him dead. But, and then what I think is interesting with Brian is Brian's obviously got no qualms about killing people. Not Brian, uh, Roger has got no qualms about killing people. But why didn't you just shoot Brian in the head as soon as he rocked up with bam, bitch, she's gone. Now you're with me again, woman. <laughs> it's when he, it's when he comes out and goes, oh, if he's still there when I come back, I'm going to have to shoot him. That's, of course he's <laughs> No, that's the well. worst planning ever. Maybe not to draw attention to the situation. Maybe, I don't know. There's a lot there's a lot of I'm gonna messiness take, at the end. I'm gonna take you as my hostage. I'm gonna go into the bank vault now. If you run off and, <laughs> and tell the police, that's fine. But if you're still here when I come back, I'm gonna shoot you. <laughs> but that's it. He actually says to him, If you call the police, I'll kill her. Well, you're not gonna know what he's doing when you're wandering off with her. Um I then I've just it's just dawned on me now. The reason Abigail obviously then doesn't kill Katie is because Katie says I'm pregnant and I'm guessing Abigail empathises with that and relates to that after having a child and went, all right, I'm going to keep you. As an actor, says, you're stuck here forever. Yes. How lovely of her. What understanding. Such loveliness. I just don't get. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not convinced with the ending. Like, again, once the little girl was born, I guess someone needs to take care of her. But what's the plan? Like, so when the little girl eighteen, she becomes the crazy person and we kill Kate. What's the, what's, what's Abigail's ultimate goal? 
you've got to remember that Abigail is like a teenager or younger, is she? I'm not sure. She's young anyway when she has the child, 95, something like that. She's young anyway. And um, maybe she's not think she didn't grow up to be an adult, so she's not thinking as an adult. So I don't reckon she's planning long term on what the goal will be. You know, she's just thinking here and now, I want my family here and now sort of thing. I said it before, but I reckon this is one of those movies where they've wrote it and they've gone, few plot holes, but no one's going to pick it apart. No one. No one will do that. They'll let it slide. <laughs> Immediately, like, what? Abigail's long-term plan, that's what I want to know. Like, nobody nobody will write that. Not even those if we were and, and the fact that Brian's just accepted it now and just brings him groceries and just goes, yeah, she's trapped in house now. Fucking hell, mate, get her out. You could absolutely get her out. Why didn't he go in the house just like Katie went in the house with Arge? Like, there's, there's, there's no reason for it to have ended that way. The no. ending was quite disappointing. It's not disappointing enough to absolutely write the entire film off because at this point I wasn't invested enough in it to actually go... Oh, I'm absolutely gutted it ended that way, but it's still enough to go. Oh, come on, really? Yeah, I know. But like I say, it's not it's not a bad film. I don't think it's a bad film. Just not the greatest. But then very few films are the greatest, aren't they? If it was on the horror channel Sunday evening, you'd sit there go, yeah, you'd be perfectly happy just to sit there and watch and get the end and go, yeah, that's fine. And I'd absolutely be interested in seeing anything else that director has to bring because, again, it was a very well-made film. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Um, I'm going to step it up. I can, it's like something that we would watch at a festival that would be a filler film, which wouldn't be one that everyone walks out hating, but not one that everyone walks out loving. It's one of them that it probably wouldn't ever make anyone's top five or bottom five. It'd just be, it would have been there. And I'd have appreciated watching it. I'd have had a good old laugh and a chat about it afterwards, about the inconsistencies. But I wouldn't have, I wouldn't walk away from it outright hating it or outright loving it. No, that's um, that's exactly what I, it is. Would I watch it again? I don't think I'd purposely like. I don't think I'd make the selection to go back and rewatch it. I don't think it'd be one of them like if I was around at someone's house and they went, "Oh, let's watch Abigail's Haunting." I've not seen it, but I vehemently said no. I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. I think you captured it at the very beginning. It's meh, but not bad meh. Yeah. Like, good meh. Like, because meh can be really negative, can't it? But it's like, it's just like a, eh, it'll do. It'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah, I agree. Um, likewise. I think we've given that particular case of thorough post-mortem rip that apart a little bit more than probably were. Hoping anyone was going to actually have a look well, at it. You've but... got to rip it apart no, I mean, at all. I mean, as in going through it, not slagging it off. Good. I mean, we've gave that a thorough examination. So, as always, it's just one line to sum up this particular case. Faye, would you like to go first? No, I'll think about it. <laughs> okay. I would say promising start, lacks a decent end, director keep an eye on. Mercer? I would say, because I've got no imagination at all, um, Abigail, what are you doing? I'd say it has potential. It just maybe needed better tweaking. So, as is normally the case with our I Spit on Your Grades main show, it wouldn't be us without awarding this particular film a grade. We've all scored it individually. Mercer, would you like to let the audience know what grade this got? 
I certainly would. Abigail's Haunting does come in with a grade E. And I think when you listen to the show, you'll understand why we've graded it that way. You know, so there's, you know, it's a little below average, but I think that's the the problem that we all had. We just kind of felt like it was just below average, maybe. And I do want to say I don't, I don't think it's a bad E. I think it's a higher end E. Oh, I mean, if we're being honest, so when we talk about how we do our grading, it is at the very, very top end of E. Um, it, it literally, like, if we were pointing, talking about points, it is one point away from a D. So it is oh. a very high, but it is still an E, unfortunately. Oh no! Oh, I want to change mine now to give it a D. No, this is this is not the British Education Board. Oh. We're not the Department of Education. You're not fireplace salesman, whatever his name is, Tori MP. We are not applying to regrade films or papers. And that's what I'm saying. And for me, a D is like an average film. Like you know, most films that I watch are probably Ds, and anything above that's perfect. And I do think it just missed out just because of them inconsistencies and them flaws that, you know, just stopped you from, like, that giving it that extra oomph. I would say out of the films you do pick on Prime, that this is one I would recommend watching, purely for how well it's made for a low-end Prime, well, what is classed as a low-end Prime film. It actually isn't a low-end Prime film. I'd definitely say watch it. No, I don't think it deserves the low IMDb and Prime score. No, 3.9 is not what this film is, I don't think. I think it's way higher than a 3.9. Although saying that, an average would be five, and we said it's low <laughs> average. So actually, the point scoring on IMDb is absolutely on point with this. No, but looking at the 3.9, it just seems unfair. I think For the quality of the film. I think whenever you're looking at actually scoring films out of 10 or 5, or especially out of 10, you're always looking and going, oh, my God, I scored that really, really low. But as I say, we have to take the point of the average is five, then, then yeah, it's probably about right. I always, I'm exactly the same on IMDb. I always feel like I'm harshly scoring films and I'm giving them a five or below. Five or below. Yeah. So an E there for Abigail Haunting. Well, as we say, probably not the, the, the higher end of the scale. And we, we enjoyed it for what it was and we're going to keep an eye on the director and hopefully they'll come back soon with another movie that we can all enjoy. Thank you everyone for joining us on our Prime Scene Investigation episode here. If you want to keep up to date with all our other Prime Scene Investigation episodes and the normal I Spit on Your Graves main show, then you can follow us on I Spit on Your Graves on both Twitter and Instagram. We're at I Spit on Your Graves on Facebook and we're at Electric Possums at gmail.com should you need to email us for any reason. And as always, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. All that is left for us to do before we bugger off and leave you alone is announce our next genre for our main I Spit on Your Graves episode. Faye won last week's episode. Yes, she did. She did, with the loved ones. Yes, I did. The best Australian hour. So would you like to announce what our next category is since you're victorious and get the pick? Yes, um, our next category, can we start again? Yes, our next category um, can incorporate many things as a genre. Um, It could be terrain, it could be weather, it could be animals within this environment. Uh, The next genre that we are going for is nature. Ooh.
Mother Nature is a bitch. Mother Nature is a cunt. And on that, say goodbye, Mercer. Bye. Say goodbye, Faye. Bye. Bye, everybody.